0: This is the Bible in Year Express, day 258: "Every crisis is an opportunity." President John F. Kennedy once remarked that when written in Chinese, the word "crisis" is composed of two characters: One represents danger and the other represents opportunity. Every crisis is, at the same time, an opportunity. Crises are often caused by unexpected difficulties. All of us have problems. Many of us will face crises. How do you respond to a time of trouble, danger, or unexpected difficulties in your personal life? How do we respond to unexpected difficulties in the church or in our nation? What do we do when we're at our wits' end? What do we do? when the truth of the gospel is at stake. How do we respond to a day of crisis in our lives? From Psalm 107 Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed, they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for humankind. Cry out to the Lord in prayer. There may be times in your life when you face major storms. A tempest seems to blow And the waves are lifted high. Your courage melts away and you reach your wit's end. You hit an unexpected storm and cannot work out how to get out of it. This psalm tells you how to respond. The people called out to God in their desperate condition. He got them out in the nick of time. God is never late, never early. He's always on time. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. He guided them to their desired haven. When God answers your cry for help, don't forget to thank him. So thank God for his marvellous love, for his miracle mercy to the children he loves. Lord, thank you for the many times you've heard me and rescued me. I cry out to you today for help in my own life and for the church in this nation. New Testament from Galatians 2 Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John Those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I've been eager to do all along. Use skill, diplomacy and courage As we saw yesterday, sometimes we may be tempted to look down on other parts of the church, other denominations or other Christians and wish that they were more like us. If only they did things more like us, they'd be proper Christians or better Christians. In thinking like this, we are in effect denying that faith in Jesus is enough. This is what was happening in the churches in Galatia. They were being told that their faith in Jesus was not enough. If they wanted to be real Christians, they needed to be circumcised. The early church was facing an unexpected crisis and the Apostle Paul had to use every ounce of his courage and determination combined with skill and diplomacy to avoid a damaging division and split in the church. Paul wants to make clear that he acted under the guidance and activity of the Holy Spirit. I went in response to a revelation Paul was convinced of the validity of the gospel he preached, but was also concerned for unity. I did this in private with the leaders, so that our concern would not become a controversial public issue. He took with him two friends, Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas was a Jew, and Titus was a Greek, an uncircumcised Gentile. For the first century, Jew. There were two kinds of people in the world, Jewish and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised. Circumcision was a sign that marked out a Jew in accordance with God's command. It signified God's covenant with the chosen people. Yet, Paul chose Titus as one of his companions. Significantly, Titus, non-Jewish though he was, was not required to be circumcised. Paul's point in this section is that the Jerusalem apostles, James, Peter and John, agreed that the good news of Jesus Christ was for everyone, Jew and Gentile, circumcised and uncircumcised. Paul was forced to defend the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. True freedom is only found through faith in Christ. The necessity of circumcision for justification before God would make us slaves. If they had yielded to the demands for circumcision of Gentile converts, they would have denied the very essence of the gospel. The purpose of this letter was to explain the truth of the gospel. Paul wanted to demonstrate that Jesus' life, death and resurrection had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of Moses. The meeting in Jerusalem was to resolve the circumcision question. The ruling reach was one of the most important ever made in the history of Christianity. The decision here prevented a ruinous division within the church. The crisis had become an opportunity. Not only was the issue resolved, but also the gospel preached by Peter and Paul was firmly established as being one and the same. The leaders in Jerusalem recognised that Paul's apostleship bore all the marks of God-given authority. Peter and the others accepted Paul and agreed a division of responsibility. Paul for the non-Jews and Peter for the Jews. The same gospel would be brought to two different spheres by different people. They shook hands on it as a sign that the agreement would be honoured. This was a monumental moment for the early church. The parties had a sensible and detailed discussion about their differences. Paul refused to be overawed, although those he met there were reputed to be pillars. This was, after all, quite a group to take on. James had presumably become leader of the Jerusalem church. Peter and John were both members of Jesus' inner circle. A pleasing agreement was reached. Paul seems to have acted with respect and courtesy despite being a determined man conscious of a special task. He would not allow opposition from without nor discouragement from within to stop him from doing what he was called to do. The only condition that the Jerusalem leaders stipulated caused no problem for Paul. To remember the poor. The church must always prioritise the poor and disadvantaged in society. Lord, please give me the skill, diplomacy and courage that the Apostle Paul had. Help us, like Paul, to embrace the entire church of Jesus Christ. Old Testament from Isaiah 36 and 37 The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending, that you rebel against me? If you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you can put riders on them. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, The Lord will deliver us. Have the gods of any nations ever delivered their lands from the hand of the king of Assyria? But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, Do not answer him. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Syria have blasphemed me. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Bring to the Lord the impossible situation. Have you ever been taunted or mocked for your faith in God? Do you really think that God is with you, they say? Isn't it just your imaginary friend? Do you really think that trusting in God is going to do you any good? This is the way God's people have been taunted throughout history. The people of God faced an unexpected attack. This is such an important incident that it appears three times in the Bible. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, was attacking Jerusalem with a huge army. His minions were taunting the people. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? On whom are you depending? They were being taunted and ridiculed for their faith in God. It must have seemed to be an impossible situation. No one else had ever been delivered out of the hand of the king of Assyria but they did not answer the taunting. Sometimes the best response to criticism is keeping a dignified silence. But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. King Hezekiah responded to the crisis by tearing his clothes, putting on sackcloth and going into the temple of the Lord. He sent for the prophet Isaiah Hezekiah said, Today is a day of trouble. We are in crisis. Hezekiah asked Isaiah to pray. Isaiah responded by saying that God's message was, Don't be upset by what you've heard. I personally will take care of him. When Hezekiah received a threatening letter, he went up to the house of the Lord, spread it out before the Lord and prayed. O Lord Almighty, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Isaiah sent him a message. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, because you have prayed to me. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. God heard the prayer of Hezekiah and Isaiah and he rescued and delivered his people. Lord, the name of Jesus is no longer honoured in our society. Would you pour out a spirit of prayer and supplication on your people so that we may turn to you in prayer. Hear our prayer and deliver us in this time of crisis. Pepper adds. Galatians 2 chapter 10 says, All they, that was Peter, James and John, asked Paul to do was to remember the poor and, as Paul said, the very thing I was eager to do. I'm eager to remember the poor too, but occasionally I feel too overwhelmed to know what to do or too preoccupied or just disillusioned because someone's taken me for a ride. But we must not be put off and, as the Bible says, keep remembering the poor.